everyone. It's Judy Cohen, and this is Wake Up Call 399. And just to let you all know that next Thursday, I'll be on a flight to Memphis, Tennessee for the Mindful in Memphis conference and retreat of the Mindfulness and Law Society. So there won't be a wake up call next week. And if you happen to be near Tennessee next weekend, please, please join us. So I've been talking about shame and dread, Hiri and Otapa in Pali. These are the qualities that arise in the heart, maybe in the gut, and guide us when we're noticing them <laughs> to say or not say or do or not do things that will make us feel ashamed or might cause some kind of harm. Tiri being shame and Otapa being dread dread of causing harm. So last week I talked about Hiri and Otapa in the context of wise livelihood, one of the three ethical elements of the Eightfold Path. And I was just saying how I find them really helpful and difficult as I make well big decisions and small decisions, you know, how much I want to encourage all of us in the law to get familiar with them and let them inform or even guide the choices we make about, you know, career paths, which clients to represent, how to work with any cognitive dissonance that arises around those, if it arises. At the end of last week's call, I shared a snippet from a sutta, an ancient mindfulness teaching about wise livelihood. And in the context of Hiri and Otapa, I thought it would be interesting to see what those old teachings, teachings that are 2,600 years old, say about what is wise livelihood and what isn't. And so the one that I shared and that had struck me so much as one discerns wrong livelihood as wrong livelihood and right livelihood as right livelihood. What is wrong livelihood? <laughs> Scheming, persuading, hinting, belittling, and pursuing gain with gain. This is wrong livelihood. Today, I thought it could be fun, interesting. <laughs> to look at scheming, persuading, hinting, belittling, and pursuing gain with gain to see if any of that's even remotely avoidable in our hallowed profession. So starting with scheming, the definition of scheming in the Oxford Language Dictionary is the activity or practice of making secret or underhanded plans. <laughs> And I mean, I don't think that's what I'm doing when I'm strategizing in a case, but maybe it's something to look at. You know, it's a little bit our reputation, don't you think? And you know, it's interesting that it's the first prohibition in the list. So maybe scheming and strategizing is something to explore in your practice and see if it falls over into the category of making secret or underhanded plans, if ever, and, you know, just examining that. And then what about persuading? I mean, can the sutra actually mean that a livelihood that includes persuading is per se unwise? Because, I mean, if so, then we're in trouble. <laughs> but maybe there's another frame. Maybe we can look at persuasion in a wholesome versus unwholesome light. So wholesome persuasion, what if that's persuasion that points our own client and the other side in the direction of what we honestly and truly can say will cause no harm or no further harm and will even do good for them, for society, for the planet? You know, then maybe that's, that's okay, better than okay. Maybe that's great. 
And that question again, something to sit with. And what if unwholesome persuasion is persuasion that causes harm? You know, and what's our definition of harm? You know, is harm the harm we cause others? Does it include harm to ourselves, as in whatever cognitive dissonance we create for ourselves if we speak or act out of alignment with our values? You know, in big ways, even in small moments, right? So again, something to explore around this admonition against persuading. And then there's hinting. What about hinting? <laughs> to me, this points to the way a lot of time we can tell some of the truth, but not the whole truth. And we really can't do that and how, how that feels, how hinting at the truth, but not telling the whole truth impacts our bodies, our minds, our hearts, and the bodies and minds and hearts of everyone else. So maybe this admonition against hinting is an invitation to sit with the question of how to square hinting, telling only a partial truth with our obligation and desire to be a good lawyer and to zealously represent our clients and to keep client confidentialities. All right, so let's see. Scheming, persuading, hinting, belittling, belittling, <laughs> belittling. Well, in a way that seems easier to parse for me. I, I know intellectually that I don't need to belittle anyone to, to accomplish my goals, to be a good person, that it's the opposite. To be mindful is to not belittle, but I'll tell you a story. I'm in a community with someone who, whenever I read their email, whenever I listen to them, my buttons get pushed and I feel that reactivity. And just yesterday I read an email and I got hijacked. I literally stomped up to my office. I mean, aware that I'm stomping, but stomping was what was happening. And I had a meeting with someone else. And I had to say at the beginning on the Zoom screen, I'm really sorry, super reactive right now, not too well able to concentrate, which was the first thing I noticed about how reactivity was affecting me was that I, I couldn't concentrate on the person before me who had made special time for me. And you know, who I really wanted to talk with. And so I said, I was sorry. And then after that, I got on a call with somebody else who is in the community of this person who pushes my buttons. And I could feel the impulse. It was so strong to belittle the person who triggered me, you know, and then dread and shame actually arose. And, you know, it's amazing when the practice of mindfulness arises, isn't it? It was, it was right there. And it came in the form of, no, I don't want to do that. I, I want to own my own reactivity. And so thankfully, at least that time, I, I, I did own my reactivity. I didn't belittle, but it gave me a chance to explore that impulse to belittle. And what it really felt like was a desire to highlight myself, right? So it was wanting to highlight the self who wants to be right the self who wants to be better than and wiser than, the self who wants to know herself as elevated above another person, more mindful than another person. You know? And e even now in telling the story, that self is here. There's a part of me that wonders if even in telling this story, is it useful or am I doing more self-constructing even in telling the story? Right. And so it raises this interesting question for me anyway, about 
whether wise livelihood is about not belittling and also not scheming, persuading, hinting, or pursuing gain with gain, at least in part for the purpose of remembering why we do what we do, you know, that it's not to be great or to have a great reputation or for power or to build great wealth, even though those things may happen and we can enjoy their benefits. But really, it's to serve, you know, to make someone's life a little bit better if we can, to make the world a little bit better if we can. So this inquiry for me then points to the last admonition, which is to not pursue gain with gain. And there's nothing unwise or unmindful about creating or accumulating wealth. In fact, there's confirmation for that in, in various of the ancient suttas, but what if we're doing our work only to create gain or creating gain only so we can create more using profit only for the creation of more profit instead of at least in part to benefit others? You know, maybe then that's what the sutta is talking about and we're in danger of slipping out of wise livelihood. So it seems to me as if this is just another good contemplation to be blunt about it. Are we in it only for the money? Right. And so much focus in the law in the US and the world is on growth and profit. So this is the the water we swim in. And I think this contemplation is really interesting. Where am I in this? Am I in it to serve? Am I in it only for the gain? How am I using my gain? Am I at least using some of it to make our small blue planet a better place for all beings? So let's, let's sit. So taking a moment to find your ground, find your seat. Locate the body. Sense into this present moment. Locate the breath. And begin to pay attention to each breath as it flows in and out of the body. The sensation of that loving attention. Or if the breath is not a supportive 
refuge for your attention than beginning to notice the sound in your environment. And noticing the way that sound arises and passes away, just like the breath. And when the mind wanders, which which it will, no problem, not an issue. Simply returning the attention to the breath or to the sound in your environment. Nothing to do, nowhere to be. Nothing to have to have on your mind. And if there are things on your mind, just noticing that. Not getting hooked on the storyline. Coming back to the breath or to the sound.
just the truthfulness of this moment, whatever is here. Noticing it and then coming back to the breath, to the sound. Nothing else required. Great to sit with you all. Have a, have a good couple of weeks. I'll see you in two weeks or I'll see you in Memphis. Take care, everybody.